This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. I decided I wanted to start something, and the best thing to start was CARP. That's the voice of Lillian Morgenthau, the woman who pioneered the cause of Zoomers in this country by founding CARP, then the Canadian Association of Retired People. She passed away Thursday at the age of 89. Today, I'll be joined by Moses Nimer, the current president of CARP, to look at her legacy. Plus, we're just days away from Idea City 2013, Canada's premier meeting of the minds. One of those minds is Gabor Forgatch. He's a physicist turned entrepreneur whose latest venture is making meat and leather in a lab. He believes that creating animal products this way will alleviate food shortages and help save our environment. He'll tell us more a little later on. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, right-to-die legislation was tabled in the National Assembly in Quebec City. If passed, the legislation would allow a Quebec doctor who gets a patient's repeated consent to administer medication that causes death. Federal Justice Minister Rob Nicholson released a statement saying that assisted suicide and euthanasia are illegal in Canada. But some of Quebec's politicians argue that delivery of health care services is a provincial jurisdiction and Quebec is on firm legal ground with the bill. U.S. authorities have discovered that a top commander of a Nazi SS-led unit has been living in Minnesota since shortly after the war. Michael Karkoch, 94, is accused of torching villages filled with women and children as an officer and founding member of the SS-led Ukrainian Self-Defense Legion and later as an officer in the SS Galician Division. He's believed to have lied to authorities to enter the U.S. Ephraim Zuroff, the lead Nazi hunter at the Simon Wiesenthal Center in Jerusalem, says he expects that the evidence is strong enough for deportation and war crimes prosecution in Germany or Poland. The iconic and controversial Canadian sprint star Ben Johnson proved this week that he still has legs. Some 25 years after his fall from Olympic grace amid a doping scandal, Johnson was back on the track this week anchoring his Pro-Am relay team to victory as part of the Toronto International Track and Field Games. The 51-year-old grandfather joked he just wished he'd been given more than two weeks' notice to train. Johnson admitted the race left him exhausted, adding, it's been a long time. And finally, Japan's Jiroman Kimura, the world's oldest person, died this week at the age of 116. Born in April 1897, he had been recognized by the Guinness World Records not only as the oldest living person, but as the oldest man ever. 
He passed away Wednesday from natural causes. The title of oldest living person now belongs to another Japanese person, Misao Okawa of Osaka. I'm Louise Nimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. This week, we lost a pioneer in the Zoomer world. The indomitable Lillian Morgenthau, co-founder of CARP, passed away Thursday at the age of 89. She was very much a pioneer. I think Lillian not only saw before others, but acted before others to make sure that Canadians in an aging society had a political voice. And let's not forget, but she really, I think the the legacy is going to be long after the specific policies, you know, have been resolved one way or the other. And she got this generation a seat at the table. That's CARP GM Ross Mayotte and Zoomer Media VP David Kravitz discussing Lillian's legacy. She and her husband Murray started CARP around their kitchen table in 1984. They began with 10 members, mostly relatives, and with their hard work and tenacity, it grew into a force boasting several hundred thousand members and wielding political clout. Moses took up the torch, becoming Lillian's successor as CARP's current president. He shared some fond memories with me. Moses, uh, I'm very sorry for your loss, and actually it is a loss for all of us. Indeed, indeed it is. Uh, Lillian, people will recall, was uh, a very powerful presence, uh, a very successful presence from the point of view of the objectives of our organization, and, uh, and suddenly she's not there. Tell me about your first impressions of Lillian. Well, as I said, powerful, outspoken, uh, tough, demanding, tenacious. You could see all that in her right away. But, uh, but uh, there, was, there was always a, a twinkle in the eye. She, she could be quite mischievous. And uh, the combination of those things, um, you know, gave you the immediate impression that this was not a woman that anybody could ever say no to. And that was her great achievement. Uh, people just didn't say no to Lillian, and uh, that was good for CARP. For CARP. For CARP. And so she really was a pioneer. She was, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, they, they had many victories, those two, Murray and Lillian. Murray worked with her. They were very strong about putting important medicines on formularies. And, of course, the, the other two great victories that happened on her watch uh, were the ones against mandatory retirement. The bulk of that battle was fought when she was in full flood. And, uh, and of course, pension income splitting was a great triumph that uh, Lillian um, achieved in, in collaboration with Dan Braniff. Uh, so that, that should prove to anybody who wonders what an organization like CARP does, um, that should prove the value of an organization like CARP, the value of banding together and, and the necessity to keep up with her work and, and press it forward. Uh, what was your personal relationship with her like? Was it uh, a little mother-son, a little, uh, I don't know, mentor? What was it like? Probably the latter, um, jocular. Like I said, she always, she always had uh, a funny remark or two or three and loved to banter. 
and in the sense that um, she and uh, Murray chose me as their successor, uh, there certainly was the mentoring in that she then had to familiarize me with with the organization. And, uh, but she could see that uh, the kind of media components that I was interested in thought could make a difference uh, were valuable to CARP and uh, endorsed that as a plan and, and is probably the reason why she chose me because, in fact, there were quite a few other parties who had come to notice CARP as an ascendant organization and who wanted to somehow get involved, somehow get a piece of it. And, uh, and I'm pleased and I'm proud and, uh, and in that sense humbled to say that uh, they chose me. You know, a moment like this uh, is often like a punctuation mark in the life of an organization. So where does CARP go from here? It's a punctuation mark, but it is not yet a completion. The reality of uh, the impact of, uh, of CARP's community on, on the overall affairs of the country and of the planet is just beginning to dawn on people. And so we've got to keep going. We really do have to take up Lillian's torch and, uh, and keep going. We leave you now with a last word from Lillian Morgenthau herself. It was really an adventure, but it was one that was worthwhile and it was one that was needed. Seniors were the forgotten area of Canada. And seniors were the upcoming group in Canada and they needed help with many things. Lillian Morgenthau, dead at the age of 89. I'm Libby Zneimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. This week, the United Nations predicted that the price of meat and fish will skyrocket, and their production will take a heavy toll on our environment. Gabor Forgach believes we can prevent that by growing meat in a lab. In just a moment, he'll tell us more. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Cheap groceries will soon be a thing of the past. That's the word from a new report by the OECD and the UN's Food and Agriculture Organization. It says the price of food will surge over the next decade because of higher energy costs, lower productivity growth, and increased demand. Gabor Forgach says he knows what to do about it. I reached the physicist-turned-entrepreneur as he was preparing his presentation for Idea City next week. Right now, actually, we are building three-dimensional animal tissues, and from that we derive leather and meats. We refer to both the leather and uh, the meat as cultured meat and cultured okay. leather. As far as its uh, nutritional value is concerned, it doesn't differ from regular meat. It's from the same cells. It does not have, say, bones and uh, some of the, the specific ingredients of, of steak. And it's not really steak because it's not made from the same cells. But as far as the nutritional value of it is concerned, is is the same. And I would refer to it perhaps not as meat, but as source for animal protein. What you really should be thinking about is not necessarily a big hamburger or a big steak, but rather something that is between ground meat and pate. We do 
collaborate with excellent chefs, and we provide the raw material, and then they turn into something that is uh, that is yummy. And what is the advantage of these products? Oh, the advantages are mind-boggling. So the meat industry is one of the most polluting industries that is out there. Around 2050, there will be 9 billion of us on the earth, on the planet. And to feed all those people, we're going to hit a, a stumbling block. It is more and more recognized that the present-day meat industry is not sustainable. So it has an incredible appetite for water, for land. It pollutes the environment. Where do you put all that cow poo? The greenhouse emission that comes uh, from that source is ridiculously high. Uh, so there will be a point where we will just simply not be able to continue that way. Now, the way we are trying to circumvent this uh, those problems is culturing the meat, that is taking a biopsy from, from an animal, growing up the cells under controlled conditions with much less need for the resources I listed before in a controlled environment. So even the health issues that are around and surrounding all these meat products are much less uh, critical. Now, what do you think it will take to get people to accept this? Uh, there will always be people who will not accept it. Uh, it's hard for me to see at this point that a, that a Frenchman will eat product that was cultured in a lab. But I think there's more and more people who are conscious uh, about those issues, number one. Number two, let's face it, there are many, many millions of people on, on the planet who don't have a choice because they just have no access uh, to the kind of meat products that we enjoy. Uh, yes, it will require education. And uh, at the beginning, there will be the people um, who are the, the early adapters. To give you an example, there are about 40% of uh, vegetarians who don't eat meat not because they don't like meat, but because simply they object to the treatment of animals. And now this way of, of making meat avoids all those issues. I've seen it, uh, speculation that it will actually be a lot easier to convince people to get the cultured leather as yes. opposed to cultured meat. Yes, and, and that's what I will be talking uh, uh, the meeting uh, next week. And, and yes, you're absolutely right. The reason Modern Meadow, the company that I was referring to, uh, is concentrating now primarily on leather is because the technology that underlies uh, building leather and, and meat are not that different. Uh, on the other hand, the final product is very different from the point of view of the consumer for the reasons that we just discussed. Uh, nobody is going to uh, raise his uh, uh, eyes and eyebrows uh, and says, okay, well, the, here is a, here's a piece of leather. I'm going to make something for you from this leather that has never seen an animal or rather never seen a killed animal. I think that's much easier to, to accept than, than to ingest something. And again, it's very environmentally friendly. It's very animal friendly. And uh, the properties are mind-boggling. And we can make uh, leather that no animal can make. So uh, that's a very promising direction. And hopefully if people accept the leather, it will be easier to bring to the market the meat. How long until uh, we see any of that leather on the market? I think within three years we will be selling 
uh, our products. Well, that sounds very exciting. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. You can catch Gabor Forgach at the 2013 Idea City Conference, running this coming Wednesday to Friday at Toronto's Kerner Hall. For more information, go to ideacityonline.com. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. One of the Beatles' biggest tunes is set to take on a new life as a children's book. We'll find out which song in just a moment. Until then, here are two hints. One, it was written by Ringo Starr, and two, it's on the same album as the song we're hearing right now. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time now for your international arts datebook tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In New York City, it's that time of year for Shakespeare in the Park. Daniel Sullivan directs the Comedy of Errors about two sets of twins who were separated at birth. You'll recognize the stars of the production from their popular television roles. Jesse Tyler Ferguson of Modern Family and Hamish Linklater of The New Adventures of Old Christine. In Los Angeles, it's the American premiere of Yes, Prime Minister, written by Jonathan Lynn and Anthony Jay. Yes, Prime Minister is one of the more successful London West End plays in a decade. It's on stage now at the Geffen Playhouse. And in London, England, an outstanding collection of old master and 19th century paintings is on display at the National Gallery. The exhibition is called Birth of a Collection, Masterpieces from the Barber Institute of Fine Arts. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Daybook. One of the Beatles' old favorites is taking on a new life as a children's book. Ringo Starr has a deal with Simon & Schuster's children's books for a story based on Octopus's Garden, one of the few songs the drummer wrote and sang while he was with the band. The book will feature illustrations set alongside to the whimsical lyrics of Ringo's song. It'll be released in Britain this fall and will come to North America in early 2014. Right now, we'll hear the famous tune that inspired the book. From 1969's Abbey Road, here is Octopus's Garden. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade in an octopus's garden with you that was the beatles with octopus's garden this week we learned that ringo star will be releasing a children's book based on the famous tune and that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week when I talk to one of my heroes, a teenaged American scientist who's come up with a simple test to detect pancreatic cancer. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program director, John Bendry.
This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.